Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you have chosen to click play on this podcast. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope today's talk encourages you. festive yet. You've got to be feeling festive after that a bit, haven't you? Well, my name's Becky. Um, I've been part of this church for several years, but um, currently I work on Sundays as a youth worker in Ipswich, so unfortunately I don't get to be here very often, but I'm very uh, thankful that I get to be here with you today. They gave me a day off, which is very nice. Um, It's December 1st, and I am excited for the season, election season, right? Am I right? Okay. I'm actually, I I mean that sincerely. I get super excited over election season. I watch the news every evening. I'm one of those people who does the 24-hour broadcast like through the night on election day. Anyone else be staying up? Oh, no! Gosh, that was a very unpopular response. (laughs) Uh, So maybe for some of us, uh, election season is a pretty unwelcome thing this time of year. One thing that um, I don't welcome very much is those little manifestations tiny manifestos that you get through the door from your local MP. Um, And if it's not the party that you're in favour of, you know, does anyone else do this? I like to pick it up from the welcome mat and parade it to the recycling bin in a sort of mini protest fashion. That's kind of my way of like sticking it to them. Does anyone else do that? I recommend it as a way of kind of venting your political frustration and also being good for the environment. So, yeah. (laughs) But um, uh, Christmas can sometimes be a time when we uh, start getting... um, unwanted and unwelcome things being delivered to us. We've all had a gift on Christmas Day that we weren't hoping for, right? And you kind of have to fake the smile and thank you, that's really what I wanted. Or uh, something that we were really expecting and really hoping for didn't come under the tree. That's always tough, isn't it? But uh, it's also a time when there's a huge huge expectation, right? Everybody has high expectations of what Christmas and especially Christmas Day is going to look like. But in reality, Sometimes we find that Christmas doesn't deliver, that the season doesn't deliver. Actually, isn't it the case that sometimes life just hasn't delivered on what we wanted? Or it's delivered something that we really didn't want? And, and if, if that's been the case for you this year, if there's something in life that isn't delivering, that's something that you've been waiting for, something you've been hoping for, something you've been expecting... Or if something has come your way that was completely unwanted, Christmas can be really tough because Christmas is supposed to be the time when you celebrate all of the good things that have happened in your life. But when you are living with a gap between what you were expecting out of life and what you're actually experiencing, Christmas can be really tough. So I don't know what that gap might look for you in your life at the moment. Maybe there's a relationship that you were expecting to have gone in a certain direction, and it didn't. Or a relationship that you were hoping for, a relationship to come your way, and it didn't. 
Maybe you've received some unwelcome news. Maybe financially you're not in the place that you wanted to be at this time of year. And unfortunately, you're not going to be able to put out the Christmas that you wanted to put out. Maybe there was a job that last year you said, I'm not going to be in this job anymore. Or this job's going to be different next year. Or I will have got a job by next year. And you haven't. You know, all of us, to a greater or lesser extent, have something that we were expecting and we were hoping for that, that life just hasn't come through for us on. And sometimes we get left, especially in a season like this, asking, well, what do I do with that gap between what I was expecting and what I'm experiencing? What do I do with it? Because I can't close it. You know, often those things that we weren't expecting and we didn't want are things that are outside of our control or come from people who we can't control however much we want to. And so we get left asking, well, what do I do in that gap? And so the question that I want to look at this morning is, well, how do I respond to my unmet hopes and dreams and expectations? What do I do? What do I do when life isn't looking the way I wanted it to, when relationships, when finances, when jobs, when all of that, family life, isn't looking the way I wanted it to? What, how do I respond to that? Because I can't always make it the way I want it to be. So how on earth do I respond? And actually, even if right now in this season of your life, you're not dealing with an unmet expectation, all of us do at some point. All of us will have to face up, whether it's in the next month or so when things don't quite turn out the way we want the them to, or the next years of our lives, you know, every one of us has to deal with something we were expecting, and then the reality of what we actually experience, which doesn't match up. So how will we respond to unmet hopes and dreams and expectations? Now, that's a hard question, and it's not an easy one to give a response to, and you know that because you've had people who have tried to give you a response to that. Oh, look on the bright side, you know, make the most of it. And those, those responses never work, do they? And actually, I'm not going to try to respond to that question from my own mind today because I don't have an answer to that. I'm 22 years old, you know? I don't have good answers to that question. But I do believe that there is something in the real Christmas, not the Hallmark Christmas, the real Christmas, that might help us to respond to that question. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story that comes from an account of Jesus' life that was written by a guy called Luke in the first century. And uh, it's not the nativity story that you and I will be perhaps familiar with. Uh, Luke writes this, this book that um, he gives the name a gospel. And a gospel is just uh, a Roman word. Luke is a Roman. He just uses this Roman word that was used for announcing the arrival of a new emperor. And so he writes this gospel account and he starts his gospel by saying, I've gone to great lengths to collect all of these uh, testimonies and eyewitness statements about what went on around the birth of Jesus, around the life of Jesus. And I've compiled them all together to give you an account so that you can test it for yourself, so that you can read through it for yourself. Um, and so that you can have some account of what happened around the life of Jesus. And so um, he writes out this account that he calls a gospel, but he doesn't start it the way that you and I are familiar with the beginning of the Christmas story. He starts it with this really bizarre tale of uh, an older couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are their older and they live in ancient Israel, they're Jewish people. Um, and he starts the story like this. He says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. 
And he was the mem- a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So he introduces these two people to us. And there's one thing that he tells us, first of all. These are deeply religious and well-connected people. They've got everything you know, that should mean that there's high expectations on them and what their life can bring. They're well-connected in the Jewish community. They've got high standing. They're of good lineage, which was important in a Jewish ethnic community. Um, and then he goes on. He says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the law's commandments and regulations. They're not only well-connected and high-standing, they're deeply religious, devoted people. But... Luke says, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So Luke starts out this story by just telling us two things about them. One, that they're deeply well-connected and highly religious, but the other, that they have battled for years with infertility. Do you mind getting me a glass of water? Sorry. Um, Hmm. Sorry, I've got a really dry mouth. I'm so sorry, everyone. Oh, thanks, Andy. Look at that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Right. <laughs> oh, thank you. Right, apologies. Okay. So, um, we find out that they're deeply religious. There's high expectation on their life, but they have battled for years with infertility. This isn't just an unmet expectation for them. This is an expectation that, for all intents and purposes, is never going to be met because they're now older in years. So that there they are with not just unmet expectations and unmet hopes and dreams, but shattered hopes and dreams and expectations. Life has not worked out the way they wanted it to. But um, we find Luke reports this story uh, one day in Zechariah's life when he's older Um, It says, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, so Zechariah is part of this priestly order, and the priests were the only people in the Jewish community who would be allowed to enter into a certain part of the temple. They would be men, they would have gone through certain uh, rituals and processes to make them worthy of stepping into the temple and right into the middle of it. And so, as was the customs of the priests, he was chosen by lot so just really by chance, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord right in the middle of the temple. It's called the Holy of Holies. And it was the place where God's presence was supposed to be most present. He's chosen to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So maybe expecting something to happen. We don't know exactly why they're praying outside. Maybe it's just to show support to Zechariah. But anyway, he enters the temple into the Holy of Holies, as was his custom, as he may have done before, as all of the priests had done at some point in their lives. It's kind of a normal day in the life of a Jewish priest in the first century. And anyway, it goes on. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Now, before you switch off, because I know it's like, this is why I don't like going to church at Christmas because they always start talking about angels and I'm just like, it's crazy, okay? Luke is not expecting you to find this normal. It's not supposed to be the depiction of an ordinary occurrence. And certainly you're in good company because this is not normal for Zechariah either. It says Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear, just like you and I would be, when he saw him. But the angel speaks to him and he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God, I mean the words that he had waited so many years to hear, God has heard your prayer. 
Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. It keeps going. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And then the angel starts to list a series of things that signal to John, uh, to signal to Zechariah that John is going to be a special man of God. And he uses all of this Jewish imagery that Zechariah would know means that John's going to be what they would call a prophet. And so he starts to say he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He's going to be a special kind of guy. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. And he keeps going. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And that was a prophet that the Jews revered. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. We'll come back to that in a moment. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah's like, whoa. You know, I just came in here to do my duty. <laughs> he says to the angel, how on earth can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man. My wife is also well along in years. I mean, he's resigned himself to a life of unmet hopes in this area. This was something he's dreamed of for years and years and years. It's too late now. You know, he's, he's become accustomed to the fact that this is not going to happen for him. So he says, how on earth can I be sure? And the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I know you don't believe it. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, and we don't quite know why this happened, this story is weird. You will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Maybe as a sign, a continuing sign for Zechariah, that what he doubts will happen will indeed happen. Maybe to give him time to reflect over the next nine months. Who knows? For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time, and the angel goes away. And so Zechariah, I mean reeling from what has just happened, continues on for the week. He has a week where he has to keep fulfilling this role of going back into the uh, temple and lighting the incense. I can kind of imagine that he doesn't want to go in the next day. Uh, but nevertheless, he continues his work throughout the week. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. They're like, this does not normally happen. When he finally comes out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So when his uh, week of service in the temple was over, he returns home. He goes back to his wife. And soon afterwards, the unthinkable happens. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And she goes into seclusion for five months. And she says, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children, finally. And then Luke cuts the story there for a moment. So Elizabeth goes away into seclusion. Zechariah is in silence still. And he interrupts the story with another occurrence of somebody else in another town being visited by an angel who tells them something else. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But he cuts this story here. And we can imagine that the community and around, around Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, they saw Zechariah come out of the temple and he was silent. They thought he'd seen a vision. And then Elizabeth disappears off the scene. They don't know where she is. And uh, she's an older woman, so they probably just think she's sick. 
and they haven't seen her, and they're like, you know, have you seen Elizabeth? Have you seen Elizabeth? No. I asked Zechariah, but he can't speak, so, you know, no one can get to the bottom of what on earth has happened to Elizabeth. And then Luke, a little bit later, rejoins their story. It's nine months later. And uh, it goes on like this. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, you know, they'd all been waiting with her for this to happen. Everyone rejoiced with her. And so we find um, this baby and their family eight days later when it it's time to circumcise the child, which is what would happen for all Jewish boys at this time, and indeed today. So they wanted to name him Zechariah, after his father, of course, a baby to carry on, finally to carry on their line. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. And all of the people there are like, what? There is no one in all your family by this name. This isn't what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for a baby who's going to carry on your line, you know? Take this moment. He's Zechariah, Zechariah Jr., finally. And Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name is John. And so they all start to uh, communicate to Zechariah, like, come on, like, step in. And Zechariah, he, he, he gestures for a writing tablet so that he can communicate to this group of people. And he writes on it, don't listen to Elizabeth. No, no. He writes on it, his name is John. And instantly, it says, Zechariah could speak again. Now, this is not the life that Zechariah had planned. Zechariah had been waiting for Zechariah Jr., who he could bring up in his priestly line, who would carry on his name, who he could show how to go into the temple and burn the incense. This would be his little mini version of himself, who he could raise to do the things that he had done and his father had done and his grandfather had done. The greatest dream that Zechariah and Elizabeth had for themselves is that they would have a son. But here, Zechariah writes, no, no, this son isn't going to be what I expected and hoped he would be. Something else is going on. And maybe because he's had nine months to reflect on all that the angel has told him, he steps forward and he begins to speak. Suddenly, he can speak again. And he talks about who this little boy is going to be. And he says, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, not Zechariah Jr. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord, for something that's coming next. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. I mean, this is a crazy declaration to make over this tiny baby. But Zechariah stands in front of his friends with all of his unmet expectations and says, God is using everything that I didn't get that I had hoped for, for something extraordinary, something that I would never have expected, not even for me, but using it for this nation. Now, that's a weird story. And you might be thinking, why on earth, for a start, are we hearing about this? And why on earth does Luke start his story of Jesus with the story of this older couple and this bizarre turn of events. Well, for sure the good news about this story, the reason that Luke tells it, is not to tell you about some God, the wish fulfillment genie, who can make all your hopes and dreams and expectations come true. That's not what happens for Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
And it sure wouldn't mean anything for us if that was the message of this story, with all of our unmet hopes and dreams and expectations. Instead, Luke overlays this story with another one, a kind of parallel one. I said a bit earlier on that he cuts in the middle of his story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He moves to tell the story of someone else, and then he keeps moving back and forth. And the story he overlays it with is a younger couple, unmarried, a story you perhaps are a bit more familiar with, who are told that they are going to have a baby, who won't just prepare the way for someone, but will be the someone. But Luke chooses to lay that story on the top of this tale of an older couple full of shattered hopes and dreams. And not just any couple, a couple that represent the epitome of Jewish life at that time, well-connected in the religious community with access to the temple. And in so doing, we miss this because we're not uh, listening to it at the time that Luke wrote it, but he is signaling to his reader about all of the Jewish expectations that are going on at the time, not just the expectations of an older couple, but the expectations of the entire nation. You see, the Jewish people were still under Roman rule. They had this puppet king called Herod, who gets mentioned in this nativity story that you and I are familiar with. But he's not a real king. He's just a puppet for the Roman emperor. And the Jewish nation is unable to thrive and unable to be everything they believe they are called to be. And they have this expectation that one day, God's going to send somebody who's going to rise up and release their nation from Roman rule and turn all their expectations into a reality. And Luke is using this couple to signal this expectation as well. They had, this, they had, they had these prophecies around what would happen when that guy rose up and took Rome. And we find one of those in uh, Isaiah, who's one of the Jewish prophets. He says, To us a child will be born. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. They were expecting a kind of warrior king who is going to rise up and take back everything that belonged to the Jewish nation and restore them to everything that they expected and hoped and dreamed that they would be. But instead, Luke was signposting that someone was coming who would take all of the unmet hopes and dreams and expectations, not just of a Jewish nation, but of the world, and turn it into the greatest act of love in the universe. Because after this story, Luke reports the birth of who he believes to be the Son of God, God himself, coming to earth as a tiny baby. Not what anyone was expecting. In fact, Jesus' life would go so far beyond what anyone was expecting. And the hopes of the entire world, the hopes of humanity, would be realized in him. Here's, Luke, here's what Luke is trying to say. God was about to close that gap. But not the gap between what they were expecting, what the Jewish people were expecting, what the world was expecting, and what they were experiencing. No. The gap between God and humanity. That was the gap that he was about to close. And Luke wants to say to his readers and to us, this is how God responded to unmet hopes and dreams and expectations. He showed up. He showed up for people with unmet dreams and expectations. And he closed the gap between himself and them. So, 
What happens when you and I have a gap between what we were expecting and what we were experiencing? Well, I don't know about you, but I always want to step back. Because when things aren't going the way that I hoped they would, when people aren't meeting my expectations, when life has taken a turn that I didn't wish for and I didn't expect and is completely unwelcome, I want to step back. I want to step back from life that isn't meeting what I hoped it would, but I want to step back from the people around me. I want to step back from the people who are disappointing me. I want to step back from community. I want to step back from church. I want to step back from God. Because life has taken a turn that I didn't expect it to. And I think Zechariah would say, if he were here, do you know there were so many times where I wanted to step back? Maybe he woke up that morning when he was about to go into the temple and thought, I don't want to turn up today. I definitely don't want to go into the place where God is because he's not delivered on anything that I was hoping for. Maybe he wanted to step back from community. Maybe he wanted to step back from his relationship with his wife as they tried to wrestle through the pain of unmet hopes and dreams about a baby. But I think if Zechariah were here with us today, he would say, do you know what? Even when everything in me wanted to step back and step away, when I showed up, something extraordinary happened. He showed up not just that day at the temple, but he must have spent years and years and years showing up for his wife, even when he wanted to step back. He could have easily divorced her. In this culture, particularly infertility, that's an easy reason to break away from your marriage. But he kept showing up for her. He kept showing up for his duties. He shows up at the temple that day. And then finally, when he takes that tablet and he writes, his name is John, he shows up in the gap between what he was expecting and what he is experiencing. He says, all of my unmet expectations have not been met, but I can see that God is doing something extraordinary. And in that moment, he steps into the gap, into the new and bigger reality that is being woven out of shattered hopes and dreams. I think Zechariah would describe his life and these events that we've heard about today like this. It was not my first choice. It was not my first choice life. It was not the way that I expected it to work out. But by stepping into it, God used it for my good and more than that. He used it for the good of the world around me. And he can do the same for you. There's this moment where Zechariah is talking about who his son will be, and I'll finish with this. He talks about who his son will be, but not only that, who his son is pointing towards, and suddenly he shifts gears. And in this shift, I think there is an invitation for you and me. Zechariah says, the morning light, he uses this beautiful language, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. For who? to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to those who sit under the weight of unmet expectations, to those who are falling through the gap of what they expected and what they are experiencing. And to do what? To guide us to the path of peace. And that's where I think the invitation is. Because peace 
when we look at Jesus, when we look at the Bible, peace is not perfect circumstances. Peace is not closing the gap between what I expected and what I'm experiencing. In fact, that would be a lost cause for us because we can't often do that. If that was where peace would be found, it would be hopeless. And that was certainly not peace in the life of Jesus. Peace did not look like perfect circumstances. Peace, according to Jesus, is not closing the gap between expectations and experience. Peace is closing the gap between God and humanity, and in turn, closing the gap between people and people. And so this is why I wanted to ask the question, well, how do we respond to unmet hopes and dreams and expectations? Because peace is what comes out of our response to imperfect circumstances. Peace isn't just the result of perfect circumstances. And what kind of peace is modelled by God's response to the world? What kind of peace is modelled by what Luke tells us in this story? It's showing up. It's God closing the gap between us and Him. And when we want to step away from community, from relationships, from our spouse or our partners, when things aren't the way we expected them to be. I think that Zechariah would say we find ourselves on the path of peace when we step towards, when we show up, when we close the gap between me and you. In full acknowledgement that things are not the way that we expected them to be. You know, this isn't putting on a brave face. This isn't pretending it's okay. It's not trying to force our circumstances to be the way that we want them to be because that's not the gap that we're trying to close. I'm trying to close the gap between me and you, between myself and community, between myself and friendships, between myself and my partner, between myself and the people I work with. And that's the invitation that comes from God. I've showed up for you. Come with me. And let's close the gap between you and others together. Because I've closed the gap between me and you. And for those of us who aren't blue in this season, you know, you might have tuned out for this. But there is an invitation for us too, because all of us will deal with even small gaps between what we were expecting and what we experience, particularly with people. Particularly around this season when we show up at Christmas dinner and somebody says something that we didn't want them to say, does something we didn't want them to do. But there is an invitation for all of us to close the gap between ourselves and others in those moments. Every response to those unmet expectations is either a chance to widen the gap or to close it. And just finally, what about us collectively? What would a community look like? What would a group look like? that closed the gap like God did between us and him. Well, I love this final picture that we get in Elizabeth and Zechariah's story, where their house is full of people who are celebrating the birth of their baby. Presumably people who haven't just showed up now, but have been showing up for them for years in the midst of their unmet expectations. And I think it's a picture of the kind of community and the life that God invites us into, the God who showed up for us that we would be a community of people who close the gap between one another and show up for one another. 
And that's the picture of the life and the community that I think all of us want to be a part of. When Jesus showed up, he showed up in a way that no one was expecting. He didn't fulfill the expectations of the world. He blew them out of the water. And what he did next would turn the world upside down, especially, especially, and you need to hear this if this is a difficult season for you, especially for those who sit in darkness. And that's where this story is headed. So it's one final place that I think you should show up. And that's here next week as we unpack what Jesus did next. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so please check us out on social media at Forge Church and check out our website, forgechurch.com, where you can give financially, watch new content and see any details of events we have going on here at The Forge. See you next week.